Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Andy Arnott with Amy Wees. And this is Seller Roundtable number 63. And we are super excited to have Joe and Mike Briska with us here today. Thanks for being on, guys. How Thank are you? <laughs> so when we've got we we've gotten the uh, the the duo down now. So so before uh, you know when when we have two guests on uh, as as a team like you guys, we've learned our lesson that we have to ask uh, by name. So uh, we, we we will uh, try to remember that <laughs> so you guys aren't stepping on each other. Thank you so much for for being here, uh, guys. And uh, Joe, we're going to start with you. Um, and and uh, Mike, you can kind of jump in uh, a little bit afterwards if if you have anything to add. But uh, you know. Tell people a little bit about you guys, you know, where you guys were uh, born, kind of raised, things you did, you know, job-wise, college, school, kind of, you know, wh what you guys did up to this point, personally, uh, share as much or as little as you like, you know, if you like work for the CIA and you don't want to, you know, tell people about it, and you know, <laughs> feel free to, uh, to share what you want. Yeah, so uh, we're brothers, I think you said that, we were both born in New Jersey, uh, we, we still live there. As far as jobs go, um, we both went to college, both got like, quote, regular jobs. I was a, a food scientist. Mike was a chemical engineer. But what happened was, you know, I kind of didn't like my job anymore. I definitely didn't want to continue going to work every day. So I, uh, you know, I just kind of started looking for anything else to, to do. And back in 2014, I started selling on Amazon. I was doing Amazon FBA. At first, I started doing retail arbitrage, and then I started doing um, uh, like wholesale and then private label. And then I realized that you know I had actually quit my job from doing a combination of those three. I was making enough money to where like, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna pursue this. But then I realized that in order to really grow it from the private label side, and uh, frankly, from any of those angles. I needed to invest a lot in inventory. Like if I wanted to double my sales and double my profit, I needed to get double the inventory, which is kind of what led to Kindle. Uh, well, that's not what led to Kindle publishing, but when Mike wanted to quit his job, I didn't want him doing the same thing as me. I was kind of a, at the time, I don't know. I had like a, a scarcity mentality or for some reason. Um, but so then Mike had, uh, you know, he started looking into Kindle publishing and that's when I realized that Kindle publishing and pu publishing digital products on Amazon was basically like doing private label, but you get unlimited inventory. So I let him kind of pick up from there. Yeah. So at that point, you know, Joe was doing his private label thing and I had started out, you know, I said, all right, I'll, I'll give this a try. And over a weekend I had made some puzzle books. I made a couple Sudoku books, I think. And I had just, put it up. I put it on uh, create space, which is now Kindle paperback, which allows you to be print a paperback book on demand, essentially. And I also put it on Kindle, uh, which isn't even legal, but I, I put it on anyway. And, you know, I was with Joe a couple of days later and I was like, yeah, I don't know about this, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, did you check your sales? And I go on and I got four sales overnight. And I was like, wow, I just made like $8. And so at that, at that point, you know, I was kind of ready to commit to it and see where I could take it. And eventually I came across uh, doing fiction publishing. So I got into that November of 2015. And then I was, you know, at my job and I decided, okay, I can invest a certain amount of, of money each month into this. 
And after say a year, if I fail, then that's fine. I'm just staying at my job anyway. So I'd really gone all into that. And after, you know, three or four months, I was making more than I was making at my job. And Joe had gone into it as well. And so, you know, we were really, really going hard at it. And I had put in three weeks to quit my job. Uh, Joe just bought a house. And then out of the blue, one day, Amazon basically suspended our accounts. And it was realistically a rule change that they implemented. And so anyone that was no longer following this rule that they had put in got suspended. And we actually got our royalties taken uh, because Amazon takes 60 days to pay you. So I was about to quit my job. I just lost all this money. And Joe and I basically said, okay, we need to figure out something else we can do. So that's when we came upon drop shipping and specifically high ticket drop shipping. And so we had really just a lot of time on our hands at, at the moment. And we created a store in two weeks and we had made our first sale within that two weeks. So since then, uh, Kindle actually never went away. We got suspended, but we were able to get it rectified. And now it's a bit more of a stable platform. And, um, we really took a, a hiatus from making books for like a solid three years. But at that, that entire time, Kindle was still making money and paying my bills. So um, it really shows the, the passive power of Kindle publishing. But also we were able to diversify our income by making these dropshipping stores and being able to sell the dropshipping stores and being able to sell high ticket products, which I think is a really great entry point for new people um, because you can make, so much money so quickly. Uh, but Kindle publishing is also great now because with, you know, a little bit of, it, of investment each month and some consistency, you can really build an audience and just, I guess, just watch the money grow. Yeah. I like, <clears throat> I've actually been getting much more into print on demand, uh, Kindle. Um, you know, like you said, Mike, I love the fact that, you know, there's very few businesses where you can set it and forget it. The only other thing that was uh, really similar to this was the app business, right? Like I've, I've built my first uh, Android app uh, pretty early on when nobody really even knew what Android was. And it, you know, it was one of those things where I would have to upkeep it, you know, promote it, things like that. But really it was kind of like, once you set it up, it, it's, you know, it continues to make money even when you, you know, when, when you don't touch it. So I love those kinds of businesses. You know, one of my coaches uh, recently said that the reason why he loves Elon Musk so much, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but like Elon Musk says, you know, build, um, build automation that, that um, it was like build automation that automates or something like that. So in other words, like, you know, as hands off as possible. Um, so that like, once you set something up that, you know, you, you can just build on that. And once you set it up, it's for the most part, you know, self-reliant and runs itself. I love that. Um, you know, not only because of the residual income, but the fact that, yeah, it gives people, you know, very few people get the totally, you know, like the four hour work week where, you know, you actually get the freedom of, you know, sitting on the beach if you want to, rather than having to work every single day in your job. So I, I really love that. Um, I like the fact that, you know, your story is very similar to Amy's and mine. And I think probably 90% of the people that listen to this podcast were, you know, the reason they got into this is they're just sick of the job. They're sick of the grind and being told that, you know, you can only do this, you know, you, 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 this is your lane, stay in it. You know, all, all the people who are listening to this podcast, you know, want something better, think there's something better. And so I love that, that, uh, that story. 
Did either of you guys take any, you know, courses um, when you were starting out? Did you just use YouTube? Did you Google it? You know, how did you, were you self-taught or did you kind of get some help along the way? Did you have any coaches kind of what, what, you know, how did you learn how to do this stuff? Uh, no, I mean, we've taken, I mean, we continue to take, and I mean, we're doing like real estate stuff related now, which I mean, we're not going to get into for that, into that stuff, but I mean, we can do, I think I might have to do a different <laughs> podcast because my wife's an agent. We do a ton of real estate stuff too. So that might, yeah. that might be a new, <laughs> a but, new podcast. Uh, yeah. But the point I was making is that, yeah, we always invest in, in courses and sometimes, you know, we, we kind of take the attitude of it. There wasn't like one course that was like, you know, really did it over the top for us but it was more the way we kind of view things is that it's it's very exponential so we take courses because it's just like all right get right to the point we're going to complete the steps and see where we get to and then what happens is is that we've been able to you know learn something from every different course that we took and then we say like oh, okay this you know this thing is interconnected so we can apply this to this to this business and that's kind of something that you just get over time. I find that, you know, and this is probably, you know, I guess there's a, there's kind of a debate going on online right now about selling courses, like, and like the ethicalness of it. You know, we, we sell a couple courses and, you know, because there's something, it's just, that's the process we go through. So, I mean, yeah, we took a lot of courses. We sell courses. I, I kind of think like, I think it's very difficult to do this stuff self-taught because, mm you know, when you're going on YouTube and you're looking for free content, it's all kind of scattered and you don't really know how stuff applies, you know? So, you know, for example, you know, we, so for our drop shipping stores, we, we do a ton, a ton of Google ads. And so you can go on YouTube and learn a lot about Google ads, I'm sure, but are you going to learn exactly how it applies to the business model that you're working in? Uh, probably not. So yeah, to answer your question, there, there you go. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a great point. And unfortunately, I think, Joe, the reason why, you know, there, there's a lot of debate about the courses online is because there's a lot of shysters out there, you know, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, there, there's some people who have gone on, on YouTube and watched these videos and been like, oh, this is how you do it. I'm going to take a course or I'm going to build a course from this information I got off of YouTube. And so they don't have the experience uh, or, you know, the really the, the real know-how and how to do it. So then people who are doing legitimate stuff, you know, get caught in that same net, unfortunately, which sucks because there is a lot of great information that you can get from, you know, these, you know, different courses. Um, you know, um, uh, Russell Brunson has a ton of courses and the dude's made, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And, um, you know, to me, I've learned a lot just even recently. I've, I've been doing, you know, online business for over, 20 years now. And, and I still learn every single day. There's, and I love your point about, you know, you know, just gleaning a few things from each course is valuable. I mean, you you might learn something in that, in that one course that you would not have you know learned any anywhere else. Same thing with podcasts. You know, I don't just listen to Amazon podcasts or marketing podcasts. I listen to, you know, a personal coaching podcast. I listen to, you know, all kinds of different stuff because it might not be directly related to your business, but you're going to learn something from that. That's really going to help you, whether it's in self-development or, you know, what exactly what you're doing. So I, I absolutely love that. You guys gave a, um, um, a little bit of background, uh, but I think Amy's going to get more into the meat of, you know, kind of how you guys are doing your drop shipping and your, and your Kindle, uh, direct. Yeah. So you guys, you talked about how you got started in with Amazon with KDP. You started with 
private label after retail arbitrage and, and all of that. And then you really kind of, your KDP took off. And then you got to this point where you got shut down on Amazon and you're like, man, we're going to start this drop shipping thing. So tell us about that. Like, what is this drop shipping thing that you started and, and how did you get into it? So originally someone that we, that we knew that was like a Kindle uh, course seller was actually came out with a drop shipping course and we had taken that, but it was like about selling basically inexpensive products, um, you know, either through like supplier directories or wherever. And we tried that and we really had no idea what we were doing. And um, we, I mean, Joe, like basically set up the website and he started driving Facebook traffic to the homepage and he's like, why do I have no sales? <laughs> so eventually, you know, we kind of came across the idea of selling more expensive products. So, you know, products that you can find basically in department stores or you can find, you know, Home Depot. And we just started contacting these U S companies and saying, Hey, can we sell your stuff? And basically, you know, it's not as uncommon as you think. Um, these people want people to drop ship for they, you know, they don't want to do the marketing. They want to focus on their supply chain and they just want to focus on making a good product. So we got it. We, you know, decided we're gonna make this website, all high ticket stuff. And we went ahead and contacted suppliers. We got in with a few of them and, you know, we just started doing uh, Google advertisements, uh, Google shopping, text ads, stuff like that. And that's really where it started kicking off for us. So, yeah, from there, you know, we have, we have taken, like Joe is talking about how he thinks it's very difficult to do things without investing in courses. I would take an even harder stance and say, you're absolutely going to have a, a near zero chance of success if you just try and rely on free things because it's, it's too scattered. You know, we've taken courses directly on how to do Google ads, like multiple on conversion rate optimization. So it's worth investing your time. And we, had figured this out because just one more sale of a high ticket product, say you sell something that's $2,000. It's not unlikely to make $800 on that, even a thousand. So with the high ticket, it really, everything you do, the, the, like if you can just figure something out so you, that you can make one extra sale a month, it's totally game changing. Yeah. So, so can we talk a little bit about your process? You talked about how you mostly stick with, so unlike the, the traditional model of drop shipping, I guess we can call it that most people talk about where they're using like an Oberlo plugin on a Shopify website and they're fulfilling products from like AliExpress or something like that, right? What you're doing is you're partnering up with US-based businesses that sell higher ticket, potentially maybe even larger items. Um, and you are, basically partnering up with them. You're listing these things on your website, maybe doing a little bit better job of selling them than if they were just on the shelf in a store. And then you're running ads to those pro to those um, listings on your websites. And then when someone buys, the manufacturer fulfills that shipment to the customer. Is that right? Exactly. And the word dropshipping has been completely hijacked by these people that run these webinars and talk about AliExpress and Facebook ads and have these screenshots. That's, that's bogus, that stuff. Dropshipping, it, it's so simple. It's just a fulfillment method. Right. So it's been going on before, before AliExpress and it will continue to go on. It's almost behind the scenes from, you know, 
all this uh, internet marketing hype. It's just, hey, I don't want to take this into my warehouse. So just ship it directly to the customer. And when you're selling expensive stuff and big stuff, which is not a problem at all, there's no point in, in taking it into your warehouse and shipping something twice. So it's extremely common. Right. You know, even like we work with companies and we like, we know that, okay, they're also selling with Home Depot. Home Depot is not taking in these products. Yeah. It, it's a super common thing, even just for like huge corporations to just drop ship. So can we talk about your, your actual process for, you know, how do you find new companies? Like, do you stick to a specific niche? How do you find new companies? And what does your process look like from kind of contacting that company to putting it up on your website and, and fulfillment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I guess not. So the, the process is very simple. I mean, so we just basically, we, like we alluded to, we like to do stuff that's expensive. So I mean, for me, that's where it all starts. I like to think of what's expensive, what fits those criteria of where it's not going to want to hit multiple warehouses for that reason. And, you know, there are lots of websites you can go through that have a lot of drop shipping stuff on them, like, like Wayfair and House and stuff like that. Because Wayfair started purely as a drop shipping uh, company. It's even obvious, like I, I say this a lot on our live stream, if you look at the Wikipedia and read about the history of Wayfair, uh, it started on like as like racksandstands.com or something. Um, wow. So, and then they basically merged all their mini drop shipping stores into Wayfair. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of a little, little, of a hist little bit of a history lesson there. But yeah, I like to start with that criteria of what is expensive and what's not going to want to hit multiple warehouses. And then, you know, once you've been doing it for a while, uh, I mean, I don't even really go on sites for, much inspiration anymore they just but a beginner that's something for, good for a beginner to do but yeah I mean it just kind of it just kind of comes up as you're as you're going through life like you see something like oh that's that's over a thousand dollars that's probably a couple thousand dollars and then I mean it's it's really very simple you just call the supplier um, you can email them and then follow up with a call or you know sometimes you could just email it kind of kind of depends on your on your approach and you say hey you know I, I want to basically become a dealer, join your wholesale program. They send you a price sheet, you list it on the website and you start driving relevant uh, high intent traffic. And that's really the key is high intent traffic. Um, when you're talking about doing Facebook ads and social media ads, uh, that's, that's low intent traffic. That's, that's cold traffic and they have no, you know, they're looking at cat videos, you know, maybe they're watching a show and scrolling through their phone yeah, yeah you not. don't you don't really want to ask that Facebook user to leave their feed to go buy some expensive patio furniture or you know a new yeah. outdoor fireplace or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why we focus on people that are searching for stuff. That's whether it be through, I mean, Google Ads, which Mike's Mike runs, which are great because they're like you know a faucet. You turn it on, uh, you start getting high intent traffic. But then we on the back end of that, we focus on SEO to you know, eventually take up multiple spots. So when you search for a product, you know, we want to be in a position where it's showing a Google shopping ad, a Google text ad, and one, if not multiple um, organic listings in Google, organic search. So basically yeah. if I'm searching and you must, you must have seen our question document because that's the next question is all about SEO. Um, so basically what you're wanting to do is let's say I'm searching for, you know, a lawnmower <laughs> yeah. 
and you're wanting if I'm go, if I'm hitting up Google, which most people who are looking for those higher ticket items are, they're going to Google and they're typing in, you know, what's the best lawnmower or what's the best, you know, whatever it is, right? And they're doing some some research on that. So what you're explaining is that how you're using SEO is you're aiming. If I'm the person searching for that. You want a text, you want your shopping ad to be right there in front of me. And then if I start scrolling beyond the shopping ads, you want your text ad to be right there. You want your display ad. You're hitting me in all the areas there so that I keep seeing that and want to click on it. Am I, am I on track there? Yeah, it's like uh, search engine real estate, they call it. If I'm dominating the page, you're more likely to click on me. Once you click on me, you're in my world. You're going to sign up for the email list maybe. But on top of that, you know, you are getting pixeled to be retargeted. And so that's also an important part of, you know, running this traffic is building up that, that pixeled audience list and, um, you know, using that effectively. So, yeah. One, one, one quick thing I want to point out, which you guys, uh, Joe, which you, you made a, a point that, number one, uh, Amy knows <clears throat> and our audience knows that I love Google ads. So many people are fixated on Facebook ads. And to me, um, I've not seen great return on Facebook. I think it's because people are so obsessed with Facebook that they mm -hmm. are spending all this money on ads, but the, the ROI is just not there. Like you said, the intent's not there. It's unless you have, uh, you know, a product I've mentioned this before, that's visually appealing. Like women, you know, if you're selling a bikini, uh, with some attractive woman on, on Facebook or Instagram, you're going to do well. But if you're selling office supplies or like Amy said, patio furniture, you know, not real exciting stuff. The, the, the chances of somebody clicking on that and converting is, is a lot lower. The other thing that I think that you guys are onto as well is a lot of people don't realize your ad spend can go up uh, exponentially compared to the sale price, right? So like on Amazon, you know, we talk a cost. If you're selling a, a product that costs a thousand dollars and you have that, you have that huge amount of, of uh, profit built in to the sale you can spend so much more on ads then if you're, you know, selling a 15 or a $20 widget, if you're selling something for a thousand bucks, you have so much more uh, room to advertise in the process. You're also collecting, like Mike was saying, way more uh, leads. They may not convert, but then you can go back to them and remarket to them, you know, because you're able to spend so much more on your ads. So I just want to throw that out there uh, because I think that's pretty important for people to understand. Yeah, that's really the key to the whole thing because doing when we teach stuff and when we go and do things ourselves, you know, they need to have like a few different principles. And one of them is it needs to be something that even if you're not great at it, you can still get some level of success. And then you can just build off that. And like you said earlier, that's what it's all about. You need to just be able to kind of stack foundations on top of each other until you have, you know, a passive asset or just even a, a really good skill set. So we have people in our courses that have tried the AliExpress stuff, wasted tens of thousands of dollars. And it's too difficult because the traffic method is low intent and the margins are low. So to have success, it's really, it's almost like a roll of the dice. But when you have that margin, even if you have barely any idea what you're doing, all you need to understand is you want a keyword that's related to the product. And if you get enough of those, then you can make sales. And it's even if you have to spend $500 to make a thousand, that's still, that's still great at the end of the day. Thanks for tuning in to part one of this episode. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. 
sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, SellerSEO.com and AmazingAtHome.com.